0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and I am your regular host, and joining me today is Caleb Jenks. He's going to be joining us in just two seconds here. Hey, Caleb, say hi to everybody. Hello. And, Caleb, tonight we are going to be talking about can I trust my Bible? So I'd like to start by giving you the question, uh, can I, Can you trust your Bible? What do you think?
1: Well, that's a good question. It's uh, one that I can't necessarily answer based off of my own personal experience, because I've lived a little shorter lifespan than the Bible has, not been around quite that long. So um, the only way that I could tell you if you could trust the Bible is if it came from a credible source, as we would do with any other book, And the uh, short answer to that is, I believe it's inspired by God, and everything that is in it is true. Therefore, I would say, yes, you can absolutely trust the Bible.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this. If an atheist, an agnostic, someone that's not a Christian, someone that, you know, maybe has been bothered by one of those pesky Christians for a while, and they're thinking about this whole thing, if they were to ask you... What's the number one reason that you trust your Bible? What is it that turned you at some point in your life? What is it that got you from, yeah, it's a good book to God wrote this book, and I know it? What do you think?
1: Uh, so I, I originally joined, um, joined the Bible Club, so to speak, as an interest in history. I, the funny thing is I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, by the way, before we go too much further, you might change your video resolution on your end in the VLive TV to 720. I just noticed you're still low resolution. Um, okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt with that. Anyways, I grew up in a Christian home. And I, 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 so one of these days I should ask my parents if this was a reverse psychology thing that they had going on. They did not actually encourage me to get out my Bible and read it as a young child. And I think that was because they were trying to protect me from um, some of the adult content that was in the Bible, and so it actually worked. I started, of course, everybody hears this story, of David and Goliath, and I got into, I originally got into uh, the book of First and Second Samuel out of interest in learning about about this story, and loved it as a history as a history uh, book, and then later on started to draw. From it for more inspiration as far as morality, lifestyle. And then the big questions came along, which was, hey, how is it that I actually know this is God's word? So the number one thing that actually uh, changed that for me is I started looking at other stories in the Bible where there was fulfilled prophecy. And that's, that is what initially convinced me that the Bible was actually written by God. It was inspired by God. And that if prophecy that the past came true, that prophecy in the future is going to come true, and I could trust other promises in the Bible.
0: Well, thanks for stealing my thunder, because that was the reason I was going to bring up tonight to tell you why I believe the Bible. Uh, uh, and you know what's funny is um, we, we had a Bible study last night, and we were actually reading, I think it's in First Peter chapter 1. I'm not going to be able to find it. And for some reason, I started this whole evening, and I don't even have a Bible within arm's reach. But Peter was talking about how he was an eyewitness to the majesty of Christ. He heard the voice of God from heaven. He saw the miracles. He saw Jesus raise other people from the dead, walk on water. He raised from the dead himself. And then Peter says a strange thing. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. And Peter believed that the prophecy predicted and then fulfilled in the Bible was a better proof that God wrote the book than his three years walking with and living with Jesus and seeing all the miracles. Right. So do you have a specific prophecy you want to walk us through that impressed you? I'm going to look for one myself I have here on my computer, and I'm going to let you talk if that's okay.
1: Well, one that um, is pretty well known that actually, I don't know, sort of got me to start with was when Abraham was promised a son, and they clearly did not believe this was gonna happen. Sarah laughed, um, Abraham, let me see if I can actually find it real quick here. Um, anyway, all right, so yeah, Genesis chapter 18. I'm just gonna flip to it real quick. Unlike you, I do actually have my Bible on me today. I should have actually had this open. I wasn't thinking of going to this. Um, there's oh, actually that, another passage I, that I want to go to, but all right. So It's okay. I'll so, help
0: you. Genesis is the first book. Go all the way to the left.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. So I am going to go Genesis chapter 18. This is really interesting because Abraham was this guy that just hung out with God and, and they they chatted together. Um, so I'm just going to go at the beginning of the passage, I guess. I don't, I'm going to try not to do what I did another time and read the whole thing. Um, amen. Let's go with,
0: you know, dead air is often neglected (laughs) it's not appreciated enough in the podcast and radio community there's really something to be said about drawing out a moment (laughs) well
1: (sighs) all right so let's go with verse nine i guess um Actually, let's go with verse 10. He said, uh, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, your Sarah, your Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in in the tent door, which was behind him. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? is there anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied is saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So this was kind of interesting because this would be an embarrassing thing. If, if Abraham and Sarah were going to try to like somehow write down this amazing journey that they had with God and, and how much faith they had in God and how, when God promised them that they're going to have a son, that they actually believed it. And they, and uh, they went went along with it. Instead, they actually did not believe this was going to happen. They laughed in God's face. They're <laughs> like, yeah, right, we're old, we're not having a kid. And then they did. So that was actually the first, when I first started looking into fulfilled prophecy, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. The interesting thing about it is that happened, and a year later they had a baby. Well, or about a year later, give or take. That's not that long of a, a, of a passage of time. So then I got to looking into other, other passages of scripture where there was fulfilled prophecy, and um, you, I'll let you jump back in here before I go on to it but if you look in Ezekiel chapter 26 there is a very detailed prophecy and it's probably my favorite as far as looking at a prophecy that was fulfilled in the Bible but there was a good a uh, good spread of time between the time that the prophecy was given and then it was fulfilled it was fulfilled in great detail great detail was given in the prophecy and it came to pass exactly how it was prophesied and then also um, it was fulfilled by multiple people, which were all included in the prophecy, Where which were actually enemies. So it's not like they were, it was not a conspiracy where they came together and they decided, hey, we want to fulfill this prophecy that was given 300 years ago. Anyway, so, and that is on the, the story of the destruction of Tyre and the prophecy of that in Ezekiel. So, and I'm trying to figure out how I can share this. On my Oh, as Facebook far page. as the... so. Yeah, so if you jump in here for a minute, I might, uh, I might actually get this thing live. No. Otherwise, I'll just sit here and drink coffee. Like, I think this is what you do on a podcast, drink coffee. I got this <laughs> cup here. and Then I have another cup here because I anticipate that I'm going to run out at some point when you get long winded. So anyway, go ahead.
0: Okay, so I'll give you an easy one that I was just thinking about. And this is one that quite possibly could have happened in the lifetime of some of our listeners. And that was... Um, again, uh, God gave a promise to, uh, Abraham and he gave him several promises in chapter 12, 15 and 18. He promises that Abraham will have a nation that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And then one thing that he does is he promises Abraham, he says, you and your, uh, family are going to get this land. And what he was talking about was Canaan land. And. What The neat thing about this covenant with Abraham is that it was an unconditional covenant. So when you read through the Bible, you actually find out, and I think it was in Genesis 15, that when God was making this covenant with Abraham, Abraham was actually asleep. So the Jews don't need to do anything to uphold their part of the covenant. It was literally a one-sided covenant. And God said, uh, you are getting a land grant. This is going to be your piece of land. And what's crazy is that the Jews were run out of the land. So obviously, first they get in there uh, during the book of Joshua after you know Moses wanders in the wilderness. Joshua takes them in. They fight off a bunch of bad guys. They possess the land. Then we find out the Jews are. Terribly wicked uh, pagan idols, the the whole all the shenanigans, and God sends uh, Babylon and Assyria to remove Israel from the land. Then they get put back into it, and then after the time of Christ is the dispersion in which uh, the Roman legions under Titus come in in 70 AD and they laid siege to Jerusalem and they, and they destroy it and the Jews are dispersed throughout the world and they have a very tough time for a long time. And one of the things that was going on in the prophecy circles was this radical argument that only a small group of people would put up that Jesus cannot... Return for a second coming until Israel is in the land again. And the majority of Christianity, when you go back and you read books and you listen to tapes and you listen, read articles about it, everyone thought, no, 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 that is allegorical. There is no way that that is literal. The Jews are never getting back into Canaan land. And But there is a group of people that said, no, the Bible says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then on May 18th, 1948, what happens? Okay, Israel gets their homeland back. And not only that, they also take on Hebrew as a national language, a language that was dead and gone and not used. And in the history of the world, we had never seen that happen. And you would think at that point, People would start taking the prophecy in the Bible as literal, but it didn't happen. Even today, Caleb, the number of people in... I believe it's one of the top three mistakes in churches today. They do not believe that Jesus is literally coming back. They do not believe there will be a second coming. They do not believe in the rapture. They do not believe that the throne of David, another unconditional promise, is going to be set up. There's going to be a millennial reign. They don't believe in any of those things. And it's such a shame, even though we've seen in our lifetime God do the impossible with prophecy, prophecy, predicted, and prophecy fulfilled?
1: Well, I'll take that a step further. It's not just society in the world that we live in that doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back, but it's actually a good percentage of Christians, if you were to pin them down outside of church and ask them, is Jesus coming back? They would not stick by that. And I would say the number one reason is if you don't actually fundamentally believe that the Bible is true, and if you don't actually realize that every word of prophecy that has been spoken in the Bible has either already been fulfilled or if it's unfulfilled it has is yet to be fulfilled Um, but there there has um historically been every time that there is prophecy on a specific event when that event unfolds everything that was spoken about that prophecy actually it's not like it was like half of the details came to pass but every single thing that god said was going to happen actually happened exactly like he said so that's actually, that's just one side of it. The other side of it is people like to argue against, um, against the Bible as far as there's not enough archaeological evidence or there's some parts of the Bible that may have not, uh, they've not dug up yet. They've not dug up certain things that they should find in archaeological digs, and they have not found that yet. Um, and so if you look at the, the span of time since they've started digging this, this stuff up, they, it's not like they've always dug up our archaeological sites. The majority of stuff that's been dug up has been dug up in the last 100 or so years. And so they're constantly finding more. And so I would say just because you can't find absolutely everything that's in the Bible, buried in the dirt <clears throat> doesn't mean it didn't happen.
0: You know, as far as proofs for the Bible go archaeology is I'm going to say is one of my weaker points. Uh, it's, you know, the prophecy is a good one and I have some logical arguments that I would like to bring in. Now, what's funny is you, you brought up the idea that so many Christians do not believe in a, in a literal second coming. If you were to pin them down, I could, if you want to go off into the weeds, I am ready to do that. As far as what Christians and churches do not believe today, Right, but I, we really should stick to, you know the topic of can I trust my Bible? Do you right. have anything specific as far as an archaeological evidence? G- give you know. So again, I'm the atheistic agnostic friend, and I say, Caleb, tell me the most impressive archaeological find that that you found to be interesting that supported the Bible.
1: All right. So much like you, I'm pretty. I'm actually weak on archaeological proof. Um, well, <laughs> you put me up to next next to a lot of. Um, theologians and, uh, Bible scholars, and I'm going to be weak on, on pretty much every, every bit of this. But as far as archeology, span one thing that I would just say to save time is I'll point you to a really great documentary that was put out by, uh, shoot. Um, I know I should know this now it is called, I'm going to, I'm going to get the link and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you it's called, it's true. You, and it's put out by, I'm pretty sure it was focused on the family. And they did a archeological documentary on the uh, the Exodus. And so the thing that's very interesting about that, I, I watched it recently and have looked up some of that some of the archeo. I've never been on an archeological dig. I wanna actually go now just because some of this stuff is crazy that they're finding. But they've dug up stuff in Egypt with the names of Hebrew slaves. They've dug, dug up things in Egypt that had the name of Yahweh. They have lists of, of Hebrew slaves that were in the homes. There's on there's you know on the pyramids in Egypt there's stuff uh, um, they've dug up they've dug up some of the cities in Canaan that were destroyed and they found the exact things um, in those cities that were actually um, referencing the pharaohs that are mentioned in the Bible that had uh, that the Israelites had brought uh, some of these what were they they're like little crickets that they would uh, preserve I don't remember what they called them they were like cockroaches or crickets or something like that and they would preserve these little bugs. And the, the the Egyptian people like to uh, I don't know some, something in their idol worship whatever they did with it had to do with their religion, and they actually the the some of the the Israelites brought these things out with them and brought them into Canaan, and they're buried in some of these these tombs in in Canaan, in the in these Canaanite cities, and where God said that it was going to be or, or where the or the uh, biblical account re- records some of these cities being burned with fire that you can actually find the the layer sometimes three feet deep worth of burned uh, ru- rubble metal that type of thing, and they say that actually, if you want to preserve an archaeological site, that one of the best ways to do it is to burn it and I really I'm like yeah that 's really crazy, I would have never thought that, but there 's a lot of proof that gets that gets saved in there so anyway that that was interesting and that 's actually one of the accounts that a lot of atheists would say that there's no proof that the exodus actually happened, which if you look at the Old Testament, the exodus was the um, Charles Charles says he's not a a, a premillennial am am I a heretic Um, so anyways we'll have to get him in here Charles um, we're actually going to I'm actually gonna post a link so anybody I should have already done this anybody that wants to jump in here live um, here at the 30-minute mark which is going to be coming up shorter than I'd like we're going to actually open this up to where you can hop on here live with us and give us some of your thoughts Anyway, so as far as archaeological evidence, there's a ton of it out there. And that was, that's something really interesting that I've been reading on, on recently. But I still like to, I think the Bible, I think you can take this book right here. And there's other ways to prove it. But you can take this book right here and you can prove this book from the book itself. And that is one of the best ways is through fulfilled prophecy. Because the Bible is literally full of fulfilled prophecy. So I'm going to go to Ezekiel chapter 26. And I'm gonna start at the beginning of the chapter here and I'm gonna read something. And hopefully this doesn't take me too long. It's a short chapter, it's only 21 verses. So uh, Patrick, if you have your Bible pulled up part way through, um, you can chip in here if you want because uh, one thing that you'll find about me is I have been getting no sleep the last few nights. So I'm very tired. I'm eager to have my day of rest tomorrow. Uh, so chapter 26, it says, and it came to pass in the 11th year in the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, because that Tyrus hath said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken. That was, the, that was the gates of the people. She is turned unto me. I shall be replenished. Now she is laid waste. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and I will cause many nations to come up against thee, as the sea causes his waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and, and, and bring down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of the rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. And it shall become a spoil to the nations. And her daughters, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword, and they shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north, with horses and with chariots, and with horsemen, and with companies, and much people. So the interesting thing is, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was not king at the time. So this is a prophecy, not of only something that's going to happen, but the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be king of Babylon. He shall slay with a sword thy daughters in the field, and he shall make a fort against thee, and cast them out against thee, and lift up the buckler against thee, and he shall set engines of war against thy walls, and with axes he shall break down thy towers. By reason of the abundance of his horses, their dust shall cover thee, Thy walls shall shake at the noise of the horsemen, and of the wheels and of the chariots when he shall enter into the gates, as men in, as men enter into a city wherein is made a breach, with the hooves of his horses shall he tread down all thy street, he shall slay thy people with the sword, and thy strong garrisons shall go down to the ground, <clears throat> and they shall make a spoil of thy riches and make a prey of thy merchandise, and shall break down thy walls and destroy the pleasant houses and they shall lay waste lay thy stones and they tum they timber in the dust of, and thy dust in the midst of the water it will cause the noise of thy songs to cease and the sound of the harps shall be no more and anyway it continues to go on i'm going to stop right there uh, at verse 13 just because i don't want to take too long
0: okay so, so explain to us what that's talking about
1: a lot of great details here um so it's not just like this vague nowadays i've I've heard i've been in in, uh, prayer meetings with people that are they're like um i feel like the lord spoke to me that tomorrow is going to be a great day for you or i think you might have some lower back pain you know these really vague things that could never be proven right or wrong and i'm not saying that prophecy can't be used for edification in that way but these are very clear detailed prophecy of things that were basically unheard of and humanly impossible to take a city and throw it into the ocean. Uh, let's see, where was it here? Um, that's that is that's something that hadn't happened. I don't know of a time that it's happened since, where there was an entire city that actually got thrown into this into the ocean. And so to have actually believed this at the time would have been to me probably harder to believe than actually believing that Jesus is gonna come back. That involves one guy coming back. So fast forward a little ways, and and there's two parts of this. Um there's two parts of this prophecy here. It's talking about, sometimes it says they, and sometimes it says he. And so sometimes it's talking clearly about Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes he's talking about all the nations that are gonna come up around them. Let's see, it says, well, I'm not gonna find it here. So basically part one was fulfilled first. Um, This was about, uh, what was it? 586 to 573 BC. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city, and he surrounded the thing for 13 years, which is unbelievable to me. That somebody who had that kind of determination, that the, that he so he surrounded this thing, cut it off, and he slayed all the da- the daughter village, which would which would be like the suburbs around it. Uh, they killed them off, so they had and they cut them off from any food supplies that they would have had. So the interesting thing about Tyre is they had the greatest navy in the world. They controlled the seaports in that area. It was a huge shipping route, and they that was their only their only hope was the fact that they still had communication with the other part of Tyre, which was out in the was the island part. And so they were able to go back and forth from the island, but they were cut off from continuing to be able to import and live in the city. So what they were able to uh, the, from the main, the big part of the city uh, that was on the mainland. So it took 13 years and they completely destroyed the city. Eventually, they, they, they evacuated the city. They took everybody out of the city. They went out to the island with the boats. And that was one thing Nebuchadnezzar didn't have was much for a Navy. So they, Tyre was able to get all the way out, everybody out of the city. And they breached the walls just as was fulfilled or prophesied there by Ezekiel. And they got in and they completely destroyed the city. They laid it to waste and that was half the prophecy. And they gave up and they left. The other half of the prophecy was that they were going to throw the, throw the entire city into the ocean. And that actually didn't happen for quite a while. So this was then, um, how long was this? Well, it was about 300 years, give or take. You're um, correct.
0: It was it was over 300 years later. And it yeah, wasn't so Babylon had, this time.
1: No, this was Alexander the Great. They came upon them. And all right, so this was in 332 B.C was the, and there's there's some great videos that if you just get on YouTube and watch. There's some guys that, that are secular historians that like to do uh, videos of battles, and they kind of animate the battles, and there's some of them that are really, really hilarious. Some of the commentary isn't um, safe for work, I suppose. It's not, they use some language that I wouldn't recommend, but it's really interesting just to watch how, this is very well documented in other history accounts. It's not just in the, well, and this was actually, between that this was this happened between the time of the old testament and the new testament so it wasn't actually recorded in the bible but jesus mentions it um, in the new testament he mentions that um, it would be more tolerable for tyre and sidon so he he seems to affirm that this actually took place it's well recorded in history and if you just look at that story i'm not going to tell the whole story but basically all of the nations came around from uh well alexander the K- great he came against the first they tried to build a bridge out to the city with the rubble from the old city they took all the stones and everything they laid it in the water and that's still there to this day you can go there and dig that up and you can find it and it was just like what the bible said they tried to get out there and they uh they 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 uh the people in in the entire the they started heating up hot sand and pouring it over the wall on them and burning them uh, then at some point along the line uh alexander the great sent messengers to try to negotiate with them and see if they would I think this was early on. They were going to try, try to see if they would just pay them tax and surrender. And so um, he said, we just want to come into the temple and, 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 and sacrifice there. And so he sent some messengers and they took them up on the wall and they, they slit their throats and threw them in the ocean. And that, that didn't go over well with Alexander the Great. So he decided he was determined no matter what happened, he was going to take them out. And then he finally had to go back and get help. And so all of these enemy nations, some of which he'd already taken over and conquered, um, they all brought their navies together. Everybody joined in and they came against them. And everything that was prophesied actually was fulfilled there. And so the, the significant thing about this, great detail, 300 years ahead of time, accomplished not by God or by God's people, but is accomplished by um, by Nebuchadnezzar and by uh, Alexander the Great and other, other pagan nations that were around them. They came and they actually fulfilled God's prophecy, even though they hated God. So I'll turn it back
0: to you. Uh, That was great. And that was the best (laughs) 25-minute monologue that I've heard in quite a while about prophecy. So in in the remaining minute and a half, I'm going to try to add to that. Um, So, (laughs) No, no, it's a great story in the Bible. And if anyone hasn't studied it out and looked at it, you're going to want to do some research on it. It really is amazing. The one that I'm going to tell you about is when – when Babylon fell to the Persian empire and you read about the different empires in order. The the major empires of the world were Egyptian, Babylonian, Persian, Greek, and then Roman. And that's talked about in several places in the Bible. And what's funny is that actually the Bible prophesies about Alexander the great hundreds of years before he's even alive. And it does the same thing about Cyrus, the Persian king and where you find this, is when the Persians took over Babylon, and I'm talking about the city of Babylon, it was really difficult because Babylon had these huge walls. They were super thick and Babylon had a major river flowing through it. So Babylon was a self-sustaining city. So no one was able to lay siege to it because they had the water to grow crops. They had their animals in there. I mean, it was a massive city. So, What we find out is it's written down in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 27, how this was going to happen. Now, keep in mind, at the time, Babylon had the Israeli slaves. They had already taken them captive, and there were a lot of slaves, including Ezekiel. um, I'm not sure about Jeremiah. Ezekiel was there, uh, Daniel, and uh, it was coming right to the end of the Babylonian captivity. And what happened was a uh, Persian general went way upstream and diverted the river, and then they were able to sneak in underneath the gates because they, the, the rivers went through these great big barred gates. So the water flowed through, but nobody could come in. And they, were, they actually lowered the water levels, and the Persians snuck in, and they took over Babylon so swiftly and quietly that people in the city didn't know they were taken over for a long time for I believe it's set up to weeks now this is the crazy thing because any time in military history at that time you take over a city like that you kill all the slaves and then the people that live in the city are the new slaves so traditionally they would have killed all the Israelites and then they would have taken all the Babylonians in the city as slaves but what happens is the scroll of isaiah chapter 44 verse 27 is brought to cyrus the king of persia and it says that saith to the deep be dry and i will dry up thy rivers that saith of cyrus it names a pagan king by name and describes how he just took over babylon and this again is a letter that was written hundreds of years before Uh, So that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of the king to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut and sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Okay, so anyway, it goes on. So it not only tells what Cyrus, how he took over Babylon, it also says What he is going to do, he is going to release the Jewish slaves and send them off with money to help rebuild their homeland. It was insane that that would happen at any time in history, that a conquering king would release slaves and send them off with provision for the task that God had appointed them to. But you know what's funny? It's happened more than once. That happened when the Israelites were slaves back in Egypt as well. You can call it coincidence as much as you want, but th- it's nonsensical to believe that.
1: Right. Well, th- so that, that covers a couple of uh, spots where where we can look at prophecy to prove it, and the to me the the. The importance of finding prophecy to prove it. There's plenty of other places where we can find that the, the biblical account was historically correct, where something that was recorded after the fact of the Bible actually has been proven outside of the Bible as well. Historians all agree on the event that was recorded in the Bible, and that, that, that's, that can be well proven. And it's it's been said by many that the Bible is, even by atheists, who will say that the Bible is the most historically proven document in existence. Um, it's just full of of things that can be proven outside of the outside of the bible inside of the bible that it doesn't matter how much you want to prove it wrong you can you can look at it and prove it is correct so um to me the reason whenever i whenever i first started reading the bible as a as a history book and then i started realizing hey this is actually really cool stuff that's going on here it's not just your everyday stuff this book is a lot different than any other book that's out there, because there's actually this superpower that's behind this book, this force that can do superhuman things, turn everyday humans into superheroes. So that curiosity got the best of me and got me to fall in love with the book. Then the questions came along, and this is one of the things that I think is really important for us to do, is not to shy away from actually asking some of the tough questions about the Bible. Is the Bible true? is it is it God's word. So the, the the main the main thing that we have just proven from the, the the idea that prophecy that was fulfilled is this book right here did not come from the mind of man. And and I can say that with with great certainty and and if you don't believe it I would tell me how can you how can you prove that it didn't that it that it did come from the mind of man? Because there is things that are written in this book that were written in by man as uh, uh, where God told them to write this, th- write this down, write that down, it was inspired by God. They write it down, they die, their kids die, their grandkids die, and then it comes to pass, exactly like God said. And if so, if this was, came up from the human imagination and was written as this, this uh, great religious fictional book, um, then those things wouldn't happen, and they don't happen. Other religions, um, I'm trying to remember, was it Peter that says, um, said, to, said, to whom else shall we turn? I think, Who was it that said that? He looked at Jesus and he said, but, but to whom else shall, shall we turn? I came to that point in, in my... I'm actually going to try to look that up real quick because I should know this. I don't. Um, but anyways, I came to that point in my life where I started wondering, well, say say, I would have been... Here we go. Say if I would have been born in Saudi Arabia, would I be a Muslim? Do I just believe the Bible because I was born and raised as a Christian? Uh, John 6... 68, it was Peter. Um, well, I'm not sure. This is, I'm not sure which version this is. I'm on Google right now. Um, here, let's go to King James for my. Uh, so, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So I came to the point of, I started looking around. It's like, well, <clears throat> do I just want to believe this because Jesus is too good to be true? The gospel is too good to be true. Is that, am I convincing myself the Bible is true? Because I want it to be true, and when you start looking at other books, that there is so many holes. If you look at the book of uh, uh, other books that are that are supposedly from God, if you look at the Book of Mormon, if you look at the uh, Quran, if you look at um, Hinduism, any of these other religions, they don't have they don't have con- consistency and fulfilled prophecy. They have a lot of things that are written that they change their mind later on. Things things come and go. And the fact that God and his word is infallible and it doesn't change was the biggest thing that convinced me that this is something I can put my faith in and trust in and actually trust this is from God. I seem to have lost your audio. Are you, can you hear me? Okay, I can see you. I cannot hear you. Here, I'm going to ask anybody who's watching this: Can you guys hear Patrick? Just wondering if it's a technical problem on my end. I can see your lips moving, and I don't see you. All right. Well, we'll give him. We'll give him a minute to see if he can come back on. So we barely touched on archaeology. Um, the fact that the Bible. I believe, is inspired by God, ties in very well, I think, with the fact that it's proven historically through fulfilled prophecy. There are a couple other things, though, that I like to see here in Scripture, and that is, especially in the New Testament, the, the one of the biggest things that convinces me of of the Bible's accuracy as being God's word is Jesus. All right, so it looks like we have two people here that are stating that they don't hear you either. So uh, just as soon as you get it going, don't don't hesitate to interrupt me here. I'm um, just, I'll, I'll let you know if I hear you. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you got four different accounts here, four, four different guys that are telling the story of Jesus. And this is one thing that atheists try to use against the Bible to say, oh, the Bible's got inconsistencies from one gospel to the next. One guy writes this, another guy writes that. This was one of the things that actually convinced me of the fact that it was not a bunch of guys that were in a smoke-filled cigar room trying to come up with this conspiracy where they invent this new religion based off of this criminal named Jesus that was uh, crucified because of you know whatever reason, and they and they so they take a few things that could be proven by history and they piece together this story and they and they come up with this new religion, which is Christianity. Now, let me say this first: Christianity is too good to be true. And so, if you're a skeptic or an atheist and you're looking at the New Testament, you're going to be trying to find reasons why not to believe it, because this is um, this is the this is the happy ending to the movie, so to speak. Uh, Jesus comes down. All of a sudden, we have free access to God. All we have to do is is uh, put our faith and trust in Him. We have salvation through Him. So, of course, who wouldn't want to believe that story? And so it would actually make sense then for some of the, for for these guys to get together and invent this religion because it would be an easy sell. So I was like, all right, so so I need to look into this a little bit because maybe I believe the Old Testament is true, um, but what about the New Testament? So if you go extra biblical sources, uh, Josephus, other historians at the time, they nobody nobody disputes the fact that Jesus uh, walked, that he uh, was in the places that the Bible states that he was. They don't dispute the fact that he was crucified. And so, and actually, uh, even Jewish sources that were trying to sh- uh, hush the whole situation would acknowledge the fact that that uh, Jesus was who he said he was, that he actually was resurrected. So my, one of the things that, that got me with this is, hey, why wouldn't have these guys got their story together? If they actually all got together after the fact and wrote up this narrative, of i'm just checking to make sure you guys can all still hear me hopefully you can because patrick is the actual official host and he disappeared so anyway hopefully hopefully i'm still connected I have his computer i don't know if his computer's still on or what he's blocked out um so if th- if that was the case if these guys came up after the fact and they decided that they were going to write the bible so to speak these are all written as individual books but why wouldn't they have got their story together so to speak why is it that one guy remembers one thing that jesus said Another guy remembers another detail. They don't actually all confirm each other's story uh, with the exact same details of the same events. The, in general, the events themselves still line up. They all, all all of the writers agree. All right. So it looks like you guys can still hear me. Thanks, Joanna. Um, And so, you know, what I really need to do here is post the link for you guys to hop on here. Since we don't have Patrick here, I should really get somebody else on here. Um, just a second here while I go ahead and post this link into the comments on this video. So if you guys go on to, where is it here? I was spamming Patrick here in Messenger whenever he sent me this link. So I gotta sort through a bunch. Let to see if I can get somebody else on here with me since Patrick is gone. I don't like being the only guy on here. Anyway, so these the the uh, apostles, they did not, they did not see, sit down and make sure that they all to- told the same, same exact story. Some of them remembered one thing, and they recorded that. Some others remembered another thing, and they recorded that. So that is one of the things to me that was pretty – oh, there we go. I got the full screen. I told Patrick the other day, this is the best screen orientation. The best use of space is when I fill up the whole thing. Um, I, of course, I'm just kidding. So how do I copy this? Copy link. All right, let's see if this works here. I'm gonna go ahead and put this in and I just wanna see if we can get somebody else in here on with me. So if you click on the link that is going to be in the comments here, you should be able to paste. No, that's not what I wanted. Don't know that that worked. Well, we'll try this. <laughs> I don't think that worked. <laughs> oh man! Well, you guys all have to be patient with us. We are. Oh wait, maybe it did work. Um, try clicking on the link if somebody can in the comments. I just I just posted a link, and I think that it might actually take you right to the to the um, be live. Uh, web page. If you're on a smartphone, it may not work for you. <sighs> okay, so I guess Patrick actually got it on there, right? Um, so thank. It's good to know that Patrick's still alive and well, even though he disappeared. Anyway, so these guys didn't. These guys did not um, dispute each other's account, but they didn't record the details exactly the same. So that was interesting. Another thing is Jesus um, quotes from the Old Testament, which was not. At the time it would have been considered the Torah and the Tanakh would have been the, the Torah would have been the book, the, the, the uh, well, he, Jesus called it the law and the prophets at some point. So I think the Torah would have been the books of, of Moses and then the Tanakh would have been some of the rest of the books. I'm not sure if that would have included all of the the prophets or not. So, um. Anyway, so Jesus never disputed anything from the Old Testament books. He quoted from them over and over again. He quoted from the Old Testament books, and so he seems to confirm all of the Old Testament. The New Testament is uh, written by guys that were all willing to go to their grave and never change their mind. So most of the, most of these guys that wrote the the um, the, the apostolic writings, the Paul's letters, um, and then all of the the Gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus, um, these guys went to their grave, died, were persecuted for their faith. They had, I cannot find any uh, material gain that they had from starting this movement of Christianity. Most of them um, lived in prison or were, you know, they, they took on a hard life because of it. They were willing to pay the price and they, none of them recanted this. And they're, they're all, every one of them, this is, this is what the gospel was back then, which is an interesting thing for today to, to keep in mind. So most of them, they went and they preached Jesus crucified and risen again. That was the thing that they wanted to, that, that, was, that was the most remarkable thing that they seemed to continue to go go and travel all over the world preaching this. Now, let me ask you this. If you were a common man, oh, you know what? If, if somebody else comes on here, I'm not actually hosting this. so I may not see that you're in the staging area. So hopefully Patrick can still see it and put you in. Um, if you were a common man now, And you watched somebody die a very dramatic death crucifixion and then they they had mentioned to you casually a couple times ahead of time by the way i'm going to die and in three days i'm gonna i'm gonna be raised again and then that actually happened and you you actually got to walk up to them and see them meet them in person put your hand in their side see the see the scars where they were killed you knew for sure that they were actually a real person it wasn't just a ghost you weren't you weren't hallucinating you actually saw a real person and then they went they, were, they ascended to heaven. That would be a very memorable experience. That's not your every day. that doesn't just happen to everybody every day. So I can imagine why it would be remarkable enough that these guys were willing to pay um, the price even with the cost of their life, and eventually um, eventually die, go to, go clear to the grave and still continue to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that they saw crucified, raised from the dead so that was That was, uh, I think I just got a message from somebody here. Anyway, that that to me was one of the things that um, really proved the New Testament to be true. The New Testament proves the Old Testament to be true. The Old Testament proves the New Testament to be true. I'm trying to remember, I made a note here before we got into this, and I'd actually done some, I'd given a message at our church on this topic recently. Uh, Where is it? There is a ton of prophecies in the Old Testament that were all fulfilled in the New Testament. Um, all right, so here's a couple of these that I that I wrote down that I think are um, pretty remarkable, that are not disputed by by um, anybody. So. Prophecies concerning, well, it looks like, oh, no, we don't. look like we had Patrick for a second there. Um, so prophesying, prophecies concerning Jesus. Um, so the greatest fulfillment, I think, of, of all prophecy in the Bible was the first coming of Christ. And so that's the entire Old Testament is full of it. So here, here it says it was prophesied. Let's see, where was it here? All right, so I said that, he would, that, that Jesus would be born of the seed of Abraham, Jesse, and David. And that is historically um, accurate. That he, if you go through the, the lineage there as recorded in the Bible, and other historians don't dispute that. He would be born of a virgin. Now, this some people would dispute. Um, I think that we, be, because we can believe the Bible, we can believe this to be true. And, um, but he would be born of a virgin. That happened. They would call him Emmanuel, who would be born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner, which was John the Baptist. He would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. He'd be a prophet like Moses, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be entering into his public ministry in Galilee, which happened. All these things happened, and it's really interesting. Um, He would be entering publicly into Jerusalem and come into the temple. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness, and compassion. He would be without deceit he would be full of zeal preaching with parables. nobody did that before Jesus um, not that I know of anyway that was not a remarkable thing to happen he, and obviously he preached with parables and i said that he would working miracles, bearing reproach he would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. The Jews and Gentiles would combine together against him he would be betrayed by a friend his disciples would forsake him he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver and at that same price would be given for a potter's field he would die with intense suffering yet be silent under that suffering. He would be struck on the cheek. His visage would be marred. He would be spit upon and scarred. His hands and feet would be nailed to the cross. He would be forsaken by God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be mocked. Gall and vinegar would be offered to him. His garments would be parted. Lots would be cast for his clothing. He would be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. He would die, but not a bone in his body would be broken. He would be pierced long before crucifixion. Would ever be invented. He would be buried with the rich. His flesh would not see corruption. He would be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. So all of this was recorded hundreds of years before Jesus entered into the world. You have to realize there's this 300 and some odd year. Well, however long it was, the gap between the Old and New Testament. So everything in the Old Testament was prophesied. Everybody that wrote the Old Testament, all of these authors that recorded this, they all died. Then Jesus, and it comes to pass, and all these prophecies are fulfilled um a lot of these prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled not by his friends but by his enemies and they had they stood them to lose the most by the fulfillment of these prophecies many of these prophecies were actually fulfilled before Jesus was born so some people would say well looking at a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled that's kind of redundant because obviously you know god he he was just fulfilling his own prophecy so to speak well, that's 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 that is the case, and I I won't dispute that, which doesn't make it any less amazing that God did that God did this. For God is not a big deal to fulfill for prophecy because He's just keeping His word, He's keeping His promises. But the interesting thing about this is a lot of this were fulfilled before Jesus was born, while He was in His mother's womb, while He was a a powerless babe. There was a ton of prophecies that were fulfilled. If you look at the fact that um, when Mary went to go see um, oh come on! I can't think of her name. Uh, John the Baptist's mom, whatever, Mary's cousin, whatever her name was. Um, this is how bad I am about uh, names and remembering details of the Bible. But it says and it says that um, when Mary walked into the room, that um, oh come on, what's her name? So I, I should have somebody else on here that knows their Bible. Anyways, John, John the Baptist's mom, Mary's cousin that she, uh, the babe that was within her womb leapt at, at the presence of Jesus and that he was filled with the spirit. And so anyway, it's very interesting because that was prophesied in the Old Testament. It said that was going to happen. How did Jesus do that if, if it was just Jesus here um, manually manipulating the, the, the timeline of history? Elizabeth, <laughs> thanks, Patrick. Um, so yeah, Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mom. I didn't know that. I, I drew a blank. Um, anyways, so that's just a, that's a, a very interesting thing to me is that these prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus, some of them were fulfilled while he's in his mother's womb. And also, a lot of the rest of the prophecy was fulfilled while he's in the grave. And so, obviously, this is a God thing going on. This wasn't uh, just a story that people came up with and that they wrote this book down. Every other book that's out there is either written by one or more authors that compiled a book and they collaborate with one another. And that's impossible to collaborate in that sense and and make up a story and then have the story unfold over the course of thousands of years and then not say that and, and say that it just came from the mind of man that it did not come from the mind of God um and another thing to prove something here is and this is a really bad argument, but it would be a logical argument if if it were true um yes, my sister was named after her <laughs> sorry, Liz um. So anyways, some people will say, well, what if this whole thing is a fraud? And if the whole thing was fabricated after the fact. All right. So let's say, for instance, that somebody um, 300 B.C. decides to come up with this whole story of the Bible and they write this book. They write the books of the Old Testament, the books of the New Testament. Maybe they draw from history on some, some events that have taken place um there are passages in scripture that are inscribed on stones that are that you can that you can look up some of the uh, papyrus in in egypt there's other other religions that um mention things that are in in the bible there's passages of bible that that have been found and dug up in in graves and uh buried with with people archaeological digs where it was buried with people where other cities were built on top of it. And this stuff was preserved underneath. There are um, stamps from some of the, the uh, kings of Israel where they would, the, the seals, where they would stamp stamp their name on their letters. I'm just realizing I, I still never got this this uh, video shared on my Facebook page. Every time I try to share this thing, it only lets me share it on a page. I don't know why it's doing this to me. But anyway, every time I try to share this pod, this uh, live video, it only lets me share it on one of my pages not on my personal profile, so all of my friends are not able to get on here. And I just realized that I don't know how many viewers we have, but it's going to be a lot less significant if I did not I was not able to share this anywhere. So sorry about that. Hopefully next time I figure this out, I know how to share it from my phone, but on my laptop here I cannot seem to get it. So unless we get Patrick back on here or somebody else on here, I guess it's probably um, there's no no use in me taking too much time here and dragging this on. Sure, there's plenty more that could be discussed here, talked about. Um, in short, I cannot, I cannot take somebody by the hand and prove to them that God is who He said He was, that the Bible is true. I wasn't there back then. I'll acknowledge that. I, um, I don't, I don't claim to have authority on this, but I think that it, I think that the book speaks for it, speaks for itself, and I believe that that was part of the reason that it was written the way that it was, is so that it can be taken and, and it can, you can realize this is God's word. And if you spend time in this book, don't take my word for it, but. Open this thing up, and prove to me if you don't. If you're a, if you're a, a skeptic or an atheist, find some 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 way to prove to me that this isn't true. And the harder you harder you look into it, I think the more evidence that you will find. Well, I know the more evidence that you will find that will convince you that the Bible is actually true. It's the Word of God, and that it is um, not even de- not even close to debatable. That it is historically accurate. That it is. Um, and and that doesn't we never even touched on some of the other evidence for God. I'm talking strictly on evidence for the Bible, but some of that ties in with creation, science, so many things that uh, mankind didn't even know. If you look at some of the uh, things that Job wrote that were was revealed in the book of Job that people didn't even know about science and the world that now science has proven to be true, thousands of years after the fact. Uh, the technology that is in the in in the the human eye, for instance. Mankind has never come close to touching that. Um, all of the other explanations, which, of course, I tend to go back to atheism, and uh, because that's that tends to be the the direct counter to to, uh, to the, the the Bible being historically correct, would be atheists saying, "No, there is no God. Therefore, if there's no God. That this this right here is worthless." Um, the answers that they bring up to counter the idea that the Bible is inspired by God. They all fall flat on their face uh, when exposed. It's it's a lot easier for me to take this and believe that God created me, that God is behind the, the uh, creation the universe, everything that this says about creation and the evidence that I can look around me and see. This makes a lot more sense than to take the atheist argument of evolution and say everything came from nothing. I'm like, really? Is that the best you have? Everything came from nothing. All right. So if, if I'm supposed to if I'm supposed to believe that, that everything came from nothing, um, I've got that and I've got the Bible. The Bible makes a, a heck of a lot more sense. Excuse, the, excuse my uh, Christian curse word there. The Bible makes a, a whole lot more sense than the alternatives that are offered. And it looks like we just lost audio. So I'm not sure what's up with that. Maybe the stream has been long enough. And I will sign off at this point. We will see you guys back on here next week. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Hopefully this thing gets better as we get going. Um, Get into the Word and hop on next week if you can. And I'd like to see you guys collaborate with us. Thank you all. And we will, I'm going to go ahead and end this on my end right now.